Veni, Veni, Venias, and welcome to our podcast. Good evening, and welcome back to Ask a Medievalist. I'm M, the Ask portion of our program, and joining me tonight, as always, is Dr. Jesse Noose. Hello! So, this is the second part of our episode on medieval pets. Yes! Um, but also other types of animals that uh, people lived with during those times. Um, we've We've sort of touched a little bit on the question of domestication and what constitutes a pet, and I think we even talked somewhat about dogs last time. Yes, lots of dogs. So today, yeah, dogs are great. I think they are. It's fine to have a lot to say about them. Yes. Um, and so this time we're going to finish up our thoughts about dogs and then move on to cats and other animals yes. and see where that takes us. Yes. I wish to quote the line from Ghostbusters, dogs and cats living together. Sorry. All right. <laughs> um <laughs> This is right, the mass hysteria coming out with the apocalypse. Yes. Um, But in this case, of course, the funny thing is that this view towards both dogs and cats, um, it has really been going on, you know, since before the Middle Ages, but it really is very continuous, I would say. Right? So um, last time we talked about other pets as well. So definitely, we discussed... Mm-hmm. Um, Someone who had a yes. ferret, right? <laughs> yeah, which of course people still do, right? Um, sure. And the whole idea, yes, of domestication, um, and obviously that dogs, it goes much further back. Um, so in that sense, of course, you know, dogs did have a period when they were not contrasted with cats. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, they have been around with humans for a very long time. Cats... One of the reasons why, of course, the behavior is different isn't just their species. They are a different type of animal, right? So wolves, of course, famously, right, are a pack animal. Um, They are social animals, like people. Cats are not necessarily social animals, the way people and wolves are. (laughs) Um, Right. Cats... Cats, um, I mean, feral cats, at least, sometimes live in colonies, but sometimes they just live by themselves, um, you know, under someone's porch or whatever. Yes. Um, And of course, the same thing is true in the wild. I mean, we can think of like a pride of lions or something. But there also tends to be a very solitary part of the lives of big cats, even the ones who might live in groups at certain times. Um, So yes, I mean, this, they are obviously a different species. (laughs) But at the same time, the fact that they have been domesticated more recently also definitely has something to do with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So essentially, right, what we end up with is this very interesting contrast. Uh, So cats, um, this is a kind of funny thing, because there's a National Geographic article about this that suggests, I mean, that sort of discusses the fact that scholars have suggested um, that cats may have kind of domesticated themselves in the sense that Hmm. Dogs obviously, you know, chose to hang out near people. Presumably, obviously, it was advantageous. People were killing things. Dogs could come along and hang out. Dogs were, you know, sort of domesticated for their hunting skills. Um, Probably in several different places, as we mentioned, at different times, but all of them quite a long time ago. Um, So that, you know, with cats, that not only is it more recent... um, because, you know, that dogs have possibly been with people, um, you know, for 14,000 years or more, which is incredible. That's a long time. Um, yeah. You know, maybe not, but certainly 10,000 years, right? Which is, yes, a very long time. Mm-hmm. Cats, it's much more recent. So it's more like 4,400 to 6,400. Okay. Right? So it's anywhere from like four to 8,000 years less. Um, which is to say, you know, they've been domesticated about half the time that dogs have. Um, Mm -hmm. but also that they may have sort of domesticated themselves in the sense that they really saw a sort of symbiotic relationship, right? So if you think of the ways, um, you know, in the wild, like certain animals do have 
this relationship, right? Where it's sort of mutually beneficial for them to be together. Um, and you, you wouldn't necessarily consider them friends or something, right? Right. <laughs> like the species of bird that, you know, eats out of the teeth of crocodiles or whatever. Um, they're not friends, but yes, they are, they have a mutually beneficial relationship that they both recognize and they have, um, you know, sort of grown, <laughs> evolved to really depend on each other. Mm -hmm. So cats may have done this with people, <laughs> basically, um, because where people were, there is garbage. And <laughs> this is true. like raccoons today, basically. <laughs> this is so funny, because this morning, mm -hmm. um, CBS Sunday Morning had a um, little episode on raccoons, and mm -hmm. how city raccoons really are do have slightly different behavior from raccoons that live basically out in the country, you know, <laughs> like in the actual wild. Yeah. Um, and I think Toronto, I don't know, somewhere, I think in Canada, maybe not, maybe York somewhere. Um, but they invented, well, this woman who studies, you know, animals, she sort of invented what she thought might be a raccoon proof garbage can, right? Which is the holy grail of Ooh. garbage cans, <laughs> to use yes. a great medieval metaphor. Yeah. And, um, eventually one was videoed getting in. Sure enough. Mm. And she said, you know, she's kind of cheering for them because, of course, this is a sign of, um, you know, <laughs> it's not exactly evolution, but learning. yes, they are learning. Um, and these are the animals, oh boy. of course, that they might develop traits that they would pass on <laughs> in evolution. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so, yeah, right. Raccoons are, like, I feel like you got to be careful because they already have opposable thumbs. Yes. Right, like pretty close. At least my cat, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my cat learned how to open the tinned food. He still can't really do it by himself because he doesn't have any thumbs. So he needs to keep me around. Yes. yes, and of course, raccoons don't technically have the opposable thumb we do, but they do have these very sensitive hands um, that are basically yeah. like hands. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's just something really interesting about that. So they figured out how to get in, um, and. <laughs> You know, lo and behold. So, um, you know, and then you see them open it and tip it over. And Anyway, so, but that idea, right, that of course they have started to change their behavior, I mean, for a very long time now, based on people, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and garbage cans. I mean, even based on garbage cans. So there's also, um, there's a commercial for something. Gosh, probably Geico. I don't know. <laughs> Where these raccoons steal a garbage truck, and they actually made like oh. a sort of series of them. <laughs> so they steal the garbage truck, but then they also like they go to a um, you know, like a pop up food truck location, yes. and they offer up themselves as like a food truck <laughs> with like <laughs> you know these clearly like garbage meals that they've come up with names for. Anyway, um, nice. but. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So anyway, so raccoons, what raccoons are doing today, it's arguably a little bit like what cats may have done thousands of years ago, which is to say, yes, people have garbage. Um, in this case, the cats weren't after the garbage itself, the way raccoons are. Um, but I mean, granted, we probably have higher quality garbage now. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. Um, but they're certainly after the scraps, quite possibly, but more likely the mm -hmm. hunting, obviously, you know, so they are after the other rodents. They're not scavengers the way raccoons are. They're after the rodents, the smaller rodents that are also after the garbage. So yeah. mice, you know, etc. Right. Um, and that cats realized very quickly that this was the place to be. Right. You hang out with people and there's like a buffet of rodents, of small rodents. Mm -hmm. um, and people also recognize this was mutually advantageous. So you let this sort of wild creature stay around your house come in and out because you know it will keep the mice away right and then you don't have to worry about like mm -hmm. going bald when you're asleep because the mice are eating your hair or whatever um and of course that also like your food <laughs> food supplies right you don't have to worry about them eating okay. your grain this is the thing right cats eat your hair yes. Um, yes but yeah you don't have to worry about them eating your grain you don't have to worry about you know all of these things right suddenly um so it makes a lot of sense. Rodents also spread disease. Right? Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, famously we talked about <laughs> famous rodent-borne diseases. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Right. So um, the idea that cats may have sort of decided to move in, and the people basically decided that was okay, 
Um, and mm-hmm. that this is, of course, already a very different relationship from the relationship people have with dogs, right? Because cats mm-hmm. aren't, and this is why last time we did discuss a little bit, like, what does it mean to be a pet? <laughs> um, and this is a really good question, because dogs are unquestionably pets. Um, I do see the ears of the yeah. sort of creature we are talking about, <laughs> the, the cat. Yeah, he's hanging um, out. I'm- yes. And he is like, I am a pet. What are you talking about? And this is true. Yeah. He is absolutely unquestionably a pet. Um, but if we look back long, long ago, <laughs> um, you know, the extent to which dogs were f- clearly for companionship. And to this day, I mean, how many memes are there about the extent to which our cats really there as companions? He's plotting to right? kill us. Yeah. <laughs> are they just waiting to eat our eyeballs? Um, this is, of course, the book, you know, Will Your Cat Eat Your Eyeballs? Oh, yes. Yes. Like Caitlin yes. Doherty? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've, I think we've linked to some of her yes, videos. Yes, that we will link to her book. Um, yes. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's funny because obviously modern cats, some of them do mice. Um, yes. My creature, Andre, has chased a couple of mice uh-huh. in his time. Yes. Um, I did... I did spend an exciting half hour one time digging the mouse out of the pantry oh, so I could put it outside oh, to prevent a massacre after I went to bed. Yes. But um, we have neither sufficient mice to keep him fed. Right. And also, I don't believe he thing. has sufficient... Yeah, and I don't think he has sufficient drive to catch enough mice that it would keep him fed. Yes. So... <laughs> He he does seem like, to be very sorry, insistent dude. upon something here. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure if he agrees with all this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm concerned he's going to chomp me if I say the wrong thing. Yes. But I, f- I do feel you are correct. Um, there's the webcomic Strange Planet <laughs> uh, by yes. Nathan Pyle, where, you know, Strange Planet is a planet that is somewhat akin to ours, but not quite sort of little alien creatures. But these alien creatures do have uh, vibrating creatures that they clearly keep as pets. Um, but these vibrating creatures are emotionally distant. <laughs> yeah. And there are a number of comics about this. As opposed to the moral yeah. creatures who desire nothing but pets and are very friendly and always there you know, to help and be companions. Um, mm-hmm. And yes, this is a long-standing distinction, of course. <laughs> um, yeah. And it is funny because obviously unquestionably cats were kept as pets as they are today. But um, sometimes the line was much more blurry than with dogs because the line mm-hmm. between lap dogs and working dogs, you know, who are expected to hunt or something was in some ways very, very clear. Whereas the line with cats right. wasn't necessarily, um, you were always ostensibly keeping them as mousers. But obviously, mm-hmm. yes, some of them were not actually expected to catch mice, presumably, right? Um, right. And then you would have other cats who were expected to do that, and you would have your clearly pet cat. Um, but that's the thing, of course, that even the pet cats are sort of going to be aloof, right? And this is, of course, the whole point to this day, right? Yes. Um, so the contrast between cats and dogs is clear in temperament and has been clear in temperament for a very long time. <laughs> um and this is something that then also, I want to apologize here to Andre, because I know he's listening. Um, but this also absolutely manifested itself in the symbolism, right? So we talked about dogs as very symbolic of loyalty. You even have these dogs who are looked on as saints for protecting the family, right? Ah, uh, yes. Um, yes. Well, cats, it's a little bit different. Um, oh, we should have mentioned, by the way, that the cat portion of this episode is dedicated to Professor Barbara Newman. Ah, yes. As all things medieval cats should be. <laughs> yes. I think we mentioned some of her cats back in the episode on Anchoresses. Yes. Um, um, in case you want to go back and listen again. Yes. Um, and we will mention that some of them probably again today. Um, yes. But this is the sort of interesting element. Um, cats were definitely seen, right, ostensibly as helpful because, you know, they're necessary. But at the same time, um, they do become symbolic, right? 
they are sort of seen as the antithesis of dogs, and they do be kind, become symbolic of the devil, for example, right? Hmm. So the devil grabbing souls, like cats grab mice, right? Um, okay. And then also they can be seen as symbols of greed, um, presumably, again, because of the sort of predatory nature of the cat, right? Um, so there's some interesting stories uh, this one has an illumination we'll link to. Uh, Michael Camille talks about it in his book, Master of Death. Um, but there's this sort of story of a good deacon priest um, who goes to attend a poor dying widow and sees the virgin and like a choir of angels or something surrounding this woman. Um, and then he goes to attend a rich man who's dying. And he sees the man surrounded by black cats. Hmm. Or at least cats. I think they're black cats. Yeah. Um, and suggestive. Yes, this is clearly suggestive <laughs> of the devil coming to get him, right? Um, and so that way in which cats were associated, right, with sort of demonic, predatory. Um, again, the, the antithesis of a lot of things the dog is associated with. Remember, like Hildegard comments on sort of the, not just the loyalty of dogs, but the dogs can recognize if someone is mm-hmm. evil, basically. Right? They'll growl at someone who is a sinner. Um, yeah, so cats <laughs> cats are kind of the opposite. Um, and they also get linked to heresy oh. as part of all of this. Um, you know, the sort of disloyalty, mm-hmm. basically, right? If gar- dogs are loyal, cats are disloyal. Um, and uh, Alan of Leal is one of the people who sort of starts up the uh he actually decides uh alan of leal by the way like 1182 to 1202 okay. i believe um and he links the cathars are some of the big you know heretics of the middle ages and um he decides that cathars derived from cat no oh. which it's not sure. <laughs> it's probably derived from the same root as catharsis the right the greek word catharsis okay. uh pure purification mm-hmm. purity pure purify yeah, so purity is the point. Um, but anyway, so... <laughs> Which does make a little bit more sense for a religious sect. Yes. They obviously <laughs> did not see themselves right. as heretics, right? Which is the first step, of mm-hmm. course, that was wrong. <laughs> yes, is to assume that, yeah, that they saw themselves as heretics. Of course not. Um, but anyway, so this sort of false etymology, uh, the point really is just how representative it is of this sort of idea. Um, And actually to take that a step further, (laughs) um, the Dominicans, who of course are Mm -hmm. a mendicant order uh, founded by Dominic, right? So that's why the Dominicans, St. Dominic. Um, But you'll notice their name, Domini Can, Mm -hmm. right? They end up taking the sort of epithet, I guess we'd say, um, Domini Canes. Aha. Meaning, like, yes, hounds of the Lord. Right? Or dogs of the Lord. Which is a pun on their name, mm-hmm. obviously. But also, very, very much buying into that idea of dogs as the loyal guardians of the faith, right? The Dominicans are the Inquisitors. Not always, but that is one of the things they are known for, right? Is the Inquisition. Um, even before it really gets going in the early modern period. I mean, in the Middle Ages, it's a much more sort of scattershot thing. Mm-hmm. But Dominicans are very much a part of that. Um, and so they and they see themselves as protecting the church against heresy and all this stuff. Um, and yeah, dogs are that symbol, right? As opposed to the heretics, who of course are cats, right? Yes. <laughs> so I apologize again. And I apologize also, of course, to Professor Newman, who, you know, cats are much beloved, and this is very unfair. No. But... Um, Andre is definitely and, shattered by this revelation. Yes, yes, I know, I know. Um, there's even there's a great uh, fresco in the Basilica of Santa Maria Novella in Florence, um, in the Spanish chapel. Um, there's a fresco from about let's say 1365. Um, it was created by uh, Andrea di Bonaiuto, uh, who's active sort of in the late. 1300s or 1340s, 1370s. Um, and it's called something in English like the Church Militant and Church Triumphant, 
mm-hmm. um, or the allegory of the active triumphant church in the Dominican order. Anyway, it's very pro-Dominican. This is Dominican Basilica. I mean, it's a basilica and it's Dominican. Um, and there's this um, great image, right? This fresco um, that has all this stuff that's basically about how amazing the Dominicans are. But one of the things in it, um, sort of along the bottom, it, there are all these black and white dogs who are doing various things. Uh-huh. And they're, yes, they're absolutely symbolic of the Dominicans, right? And they're sort of their black robes. Um, and yeah, guarding guarding the faith. And they are, of course, the personification of this epithet, <laughs> right? They are the, the actual dogs uh-huh. of the Lord, yeah. Anyway, so um, this sort of idea. It's also worth remembering, of course, that the Franciscans, um, because of St. Francis, who, of course, the current pope has taken his name after. We've talked about this before, right? Um, To love all animals because they are, like us, creation of God. Mm -hmm. All right. And that's a very different sense of, like, loving a specific animal because it's your pet. Right? St. Francis is one of those who's like, you love all animals from... You know, he didn't know that amoebas existed, but if he had, yeah. right? Um, the, I mean, the current pope, right? That you, all animals, mm-hmm. doesn't matter, right? You have to love them all. Um, and there's a sort of fun um, corollary just to the fact that um, when cats are depicted in art, dogs we've talked about last time, right? They're depicted as hunting dogs and as lap dogs and in all these sort of very, usually sort of noble, regal at the very least, clearly sort of, you know, relaxing in front of the fire, cute, cute positions. Mm-hmm. This is something that goes back thousands of years. I mean, you can find ancient little toys or figurines of dogs in fun, playful positions. Um, medieval cats have a slightly different history. We will link, there's some great threads online of, like, all the manuscripts where you can see cats licking themselves. <laughs> in the famous okay. pose where, like, their leg is up and they are, yes, you know... Licking their butts, yes. Um, this is, I mean, it's a everybody. It's the, yeah, I mean, it's the it's one. the pose, yeah. right? <laughs> yes. So if dogs have their cute, like downward dog pose, um, you know, their play jumps, all that stuff. Cat pose is a little bit more disdainful. <laughs> yes. Be, <laughs> yes. Yes, and they are portrayed this way in many places. Um, because, I mean... Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway. But, um, and then there are also sort of places where their cats and dogs are portrayed as fighting, which, of course, this goes back to our right. Cats and dogs living together is a sign of the apocalypse and Ghostbusters. Um, but that, you know, this is still a metaphor, fighting like cats and dogs. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, so we have that sort of idea. Um, in the Middle Ages, again, it takes on that extra symbolism of... Right, loyalty versus sort of heresy, or God versus the devil, right? There's this weird sort of addition to mm-hmm. it. Um, but just by happenstance, and it's hard to know exactly why this is there, obviously, but who knows, but it is. Um, so in the Basilica of St. Francis at Assisi, um, there's famously a whole series of frescoes. There's tons and tons of frescoes. Um, Jodo, of course, did stuff. But one set of them from about 1320... Um, in the lower church, uh, Pietro Lorenzetti, uh, who's roughly 1280 to 1348 or something. Um, he did the one of, you know, he did this series and one of them is the last supper. Okay. Um, and so, you know, you got all the apostles sort of sitting around a table. Um, you know, the, <laughs> it's worth remembering again, of course, that the reason they're all facing us is because they're basically the head table. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, like at a wedding. Yeah, exactly. Where, where everybody sits on one side and looks at the guests. Yes. Um, right. Because they are, of course, like Christ and the Apostle. So they are they are our head table, symbolically. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the place where the, the most famous one, of course, which is Da Vinci, the, the room that that was painted in did end up being the refectory, actually. So that is actually where they ate. Yes. Although it's not completely clear that he 100% knew that at the time, but it doesn't matter. Like, that was... You know, it's a, it's just a way that that was done. Um, but mm-hmm. that being said, there are other versions where they are sitting around a table, you know, and this is one of them. So they're sitting around a table um, and there's a fire to the side. It's on our left. Um, okay. And at the, on, 
sitting and lying in front of the fire are a dog and a cat. And they're hmm. hanging out together in front of the fire. Right. Um, okay. And it's sort of brilliant because it makes it a very, like, homey scene, first of all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, they're all, here they all are at home having dinner. Yay. Uh, but also it's perfect for the Basilica of St. Francis because... Because it's all animals. Yeah. and Well, you yeah. have them lying together in front of the fire. They're not fighting. They're not, you know, they are... I don't know. Yeah. Living together in harmony. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, not as a sign of the apocalypse, but as a sign of, you know, uh, hmm, global peace? peace and love, I guess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, you know, so you, you do get those portrayals as well. Um, so that is worth, it is worth pointing out. Um, mm-hmm. Also, <laughs> so, so that's the fun part. Um, some of the funny things, of course, that are probably known, possibly to our listeners, but definitely worth mentioning. Um, cats, again, right, because they are necessary, right, you do need them around, because otherwise mice will eat things that you do not want them to eat. This is yes. why Anchorus has got to have one. Monasteries definitely had them. Um, you particularly mm-hmm. had them around places like the Scriptorium, where, you know, to this day, I mean, there are a lot of museums that have manuscripts that have clearly been nibbled sometimes more than just around the edges. I mean, have really been like devoured by mice. Yeah. Um, and so you got these manuscripts, you know, you have to protect your manuscripts from being devoured by mice. Um, Mm -hmm. and that is what cats are for. Right. So that being said, there's some famous, famous instances, which of course we will link to. Um, but one of the great ones, there's a manuscript, uh, from the 15th century from Croatia, Dubrovnik. Um, and this showed up on the internet in July 2011. Um, Emir Filopovich took a picture and, you know, sort of had it, sent it to a friend like a year later or something, maybe not quite a year later. And then it just sort of proliferated. Like at some point somebody saw it and then it just shot across the internet. Um, and it's this manuscript that's <laughs> got what are unmistakably cat paws in ink. <laughs> and that cat has walked across this manuscript. Yes. And it's super brilliant because when you look at it closely, you'll notice that the underlying script, like it was pretty clearly left open to dry and it must have dried before the cat walked on it because the page that the cat walked on, one of them is sort of blank and the other, the other one is this beautiful script, but it is not smudged as far as I can tell. Uh-huh. And also the cat, so the cat is walking toward it. Yeah. Yeah, so he got into the ink. Yes. And then walked across the page. Yes. And what we can all see, of course, is what probably happened, which is this cat <laughs> knocked over the ink, we assume. Right? Yes. I mean, obviously, walked through it and walked straight over this manuscript <laughs> and kept going. <laughs> yes. Um, and... Yeah. I mean, this has happened probably many times before and many times since. What is probably the most interesting part of it is that in this case, um, you know, the whoever it was, monk, mm-hmm. possibly nun, I'm not sure exactly where it's from, um, just decided whatever. I mean, like, you, you know, weren't going to undo it. You could right. still read it. Leave it. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't recopy the page. They just they just left they, it. Yeah, they just left it. You yeah, know. and you're sort of like, was it already bound? Quite possibly, you know, who knows? But anyway, um, yeah, they left it. But it's such a brilliant snapshot because, of course, you see it, and anyone who has ever known a cat knows exactly what happened. Right? Yes. <laughs> um, yes. And particularly, like I say, because you can tell which direction the cat is going. The cat is going towards the writing, so you know the cat didn't walk through it. You know, mm. yeah. So it's just. Yeah. Yes. It's very, <laughs> um, and very cat-like. I feel like it's one of those things that you develop a an instinct for when you live with cats, mm-hmm. like not to put the cup too close to the edge of the table type of yes. thing. Like uh, when friends of mine who don't live with dogs uh. um, come to visit <laughs> and I pick their stuff up off the ground... You know, because you know that there's certain types of things that dogs will will get into trouble with. 
Um, especially when they were younger, my dogs would go for stuffed animals Ooh. a lot. Yes. They've grown out of that, luckily, now that they're sharing the house supply of stuffed animals with a three-year-old. Yes. But I keep trying to remind him that we should pick up all the stuffed animals because... Right. Because you never know. Dogs don't know which ones. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> With like, I definitely have ink bottles and I... Mm-hmm. Oh my god. No. Keep them away from the yes. edge. Well, you know, painters... I mean, this is the thing, right? This is what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So, you... Funny you should mention this, of course, because <laughs> the other sort of probably most famous example of this... Slightly different. Um, this is from the Netherlands around 1420. Um, you know, so also 15th century, right? But um, a scribe, again, who had clearly left his manuscript open overnight, presumably like to dry or something, came back in the morning and found that a cat had peed on it. Uh-huh. Um, and again, he couldn't remove... I think I've had that yes. happen. <laughs> yeah. Um I mean, yeah. and of course you think about it. I had it, a cat when I was an undergrad who was good at... Yeah. I mean, and this isn't just like a book. I mean, cats absolutely pee on books or homework. You know, that's not yeah. a, um But, you know, this is a this is a manuscript. Like, this is a quality place to kind of, like, pee. And probably the smells, you know, from the ink and the vellum and whatever. Ink. I mean, come on, yeah. right? So, and who knows, you know, territory, etc., right? Um, and it does seem like there may have been kind of a territorial thing going on, actually. Mm-hmm that the scriptorium cat was kind of staking its territory. Um, because, again, like, obviously, the scribe couldn't remove the page um, because, you know, it was already sort of bound and used or whatever. So <laughs> he left the rest of it blank, and he drew a picture of a cat um, and then wrote a curse, <laughs> actually, which we will we'll link to all this. You know, it's copied out online, but it's in Latin, of course. Um, but he lets us know that there's nothing missing. Right, because obviously there's this blank spot, and he says there's nothing missing. A cat urinated on this during the night. Cursed be the cat that urinated on this book during the night. Because <laughs> of it, many other cats also. Oh, beware not to leave books open at night where cats can come. Aha, uh-huh. yeah. So apparently, right there was a territory fight going on in the scriptorium. Yep, and one cat peed on the book, and then other cats apparently also on the book around yeah <laughs> so um i guess that's the upside of the manuscript is that it probably doesn't leak through as well i'm not sure mm-hmm. vellum, um, like with modern paper yeah vellum is thicker I but i don't know yeah i mean who's to say i mean it's dry now obviously <laughs> i've never encountered a vellum <laughs> book that anybody yes. would have let me do any experiments with right like yes. by the time by yes. the t- by this time if you have a vellum book, you're like guarding it with your life, and right. The ladies who run the rare books rooms are often kind of elderly, but you think maybe they're faster than they look. So probably yes, um, they probably have special powers, you know. Yes, I think you're granted them when you like when you do that, you know, librarian yeah. powers. You become a rare books librarian. Yes. Well, it's like you know, there's the TV series librarians where they all have special powers, or some of them have sure. special powers. <laughs> anyway, yes. <laughs> so. Which is necessary, yeah. But um, I do think the the funny thing, right, about that sort of um, moment, besides, of course, the curse, right, <laughs> and the general sort of territorial fight, um, it really is the sort of thing that you realize must have happened so much more, just like the footprints, right? This is when mm-hmm. it must have happened a lot, but for various reasons, we just don't have the evidence, you know, and I mean, honestly, when you said about experiments, right, they've started doing, um, this is recent. Oh, gosh. Some group of students somewhere, like MIT or something. Where were they? They created this, um, sort of, they created this code to look at something. And they looked at the rare manuscripts in the library. And they developed a lot of this over COVID. I mean, during quarantine and stuff. So. Oh wow, that recent. Yeah, um, because it was their it was going to be their final, I think, end of year project, and they're going to present it, and then obviously everything shut down. But they sort of kept going with it, um, and they, you know, put these books sort of through whatever their contraption was, um, and found that one of them was a palimpsest. Hmm. Um, not visible to the naked eye, of course, which palimpsests aren't, but you can see them in certain lights. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Typically, for people who don't know the term, a palimpsest is a parchment that's been scraped. Mm-hmm. Right? So parchment is quite a bit thicker than normal paper, and they, you were able to like scrape off the ink along with the top layer and then sort of re- reuse it because it, it's also made from hide, which means that it's much more um, resource intensive, I guess you would say, than, than making paper. Um, <laughs> you can get a lot more paper from one tree than you can hide from one cow, I guess. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yes. so sometimes if you x-ray these things or whatever, cat scan them or under certain lights, um, you can detect that, that there was something like the residue on, on the page that mm-hmm. from whatever was there before. Yeah. And this one, it's like a clear other manuscript. I mean, you can, like, it's a whole other... Yeah. Section. Right. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what this is, because this is an article that, of course, I read, and now I did not look <laughs> up, I didn't plan to mention this, so we will find this out. But <laughs> um, but anyway, so, but this idea, right, that, um, you know, if you, you could find ways to test things, who knows how many pages are out there that people just waited until the cat pee had dried and then wrote on, right? Yes. <laughs> or, like, scraped and wrote. I mean, it's the sort of thing, or... You know, if the footprints, like, just scraped it and wrote on it, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So that we have evidence of these things, but that must have really happened kind of a lot, (laughs) you know, in the scheme Mm -hmm. of things. Um, But for various reasons, the evidence has sort of disappeared or, um, you know, it was, I mean, destroyed isn't probably the word, because obviously this is what we do as well today, (laughs) right? If one of our animals pees on something or something. But, um... Yeah, but that sort of idea um, that we would, of course, right? Um, oh, it's the Rochester Institute of Technology. That's who it was. Oh. Yeah, students discover hidden 15th century text. I have a relative who went there. Oh, fantastic. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can see the writing underneath is gorgeous. Um, yeah, and they built their own imaging system, and they put the books under it. And there you go. Yeah. Cool. So, um, you know... Some someone could do this someday and find like little paw prints or find you know, um, you wouldn't be able to yeah. test like I'm sure you can test for urine. I don't know what that test would be, but um, but anyway, so it's but it's these wonderful things that tell us right. So the fact that the the one scribe decided not to scrape the prints, <laughs> you know, maybe they loved their cat and they were like, oh, he walked on my book, right? Yeah. Um, or the one who was really pissed and wrote the curse, but but just left it and sort of circled it. You know. Um, yeah. Anyway, that manuscript is now in Cologne, by the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's the sort of wonderful um, reminder of how, of course, people live with cats. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the favorite examples, I think, of poems to cats is by Christopher Smart, who is, of course, not medieval, right? 1722 to 1771, I think. Um, and he wrote Famously, I mean, he was sort of um, institutionalized and things, and he wrote this huge poem, uh, Jubilate Agno, Rejoice in the Lamb, Write to God. But the most famous part of it is has been excerpted as its own book and all sorts of things, is known as My Cat Joffrey. Um, it's about 74 lines, and it's... Wow, that's... Yeah, and he... Okay. Yeah, poem. but he wrote it because, you know, as part of the, you know, honoring God... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of it, but everyone should obviously read the whole thing. And if you don't know, like, they're kids' books with beautiful pictures and stuff, and you should find it. But anyhow, so here's Christopher Smart. Um, For I will consider my cat Joffrey. For he is the servant of the living God, duly and daily serving him. For he is the first glance of the glory of God in the east. He worships in his way. For this is done, that when the sun comes up, by the way, obviously, right? So uh, when the sun comes up... He worships God in his way. Okay. For this is done by wreathing his body seven times round with elegant quickness. For then he leaps up to catch the musk, which is the blessing of God upon his prayer. For he rolls upon prank to work it in. For having done duty and received blessing, he begins to consider himself. For this he performs in ten degrees. For first he looks upon his forepaws to see if they are clean. For secondly, he kicks up behind to clear away there. For thirdly, he works it upon stretch with the forepaws extended. All right, so we go through, of course, at the cat cleaning himself, all of the things he does, right? All right, for tenthly, he goes in quest of food. 
For having considered God and himself, he will consider his neighbor. For if he meets another cat, he will kiss her in kindness. For when he takes his prey, he plays with it to give it a chance. For one mouse in seven escapes by his dallying. All right. So you'll notice, right? <laughs> um, All right. He has basically taken a lot of the things that the Middle Ages saw as negative about cats <laughs> and flipped mm-hmm. it. Right? Yeah. This isn't like being cruel and tormenting your food. He's giving them a chance to escape, right? Um, he's very kind, right? He is kind to others. He does not fight with other cats or they, right? He kisses them when he sees them. Um, right? It says, for he is an instrument for the children to learn benevolence upon, right? Presumably meaning he enjoys mm-hmm. being petted and he purrs, right? Um, we are told, in fact, he purrs in thankfulness when God tells him he's a good cat, right? Um, uh-huh. He will not do destruction. This is important, right? Uh, if he is well fed, neither will he spit without provocation, right? Hmm. Um, and then Christopher Smart says, right? For the Lord commanded Moses concerning the cats at the departure of the children of Israel from Egypt, for every family had at least one cat in the bag. <laughs> for the English cats are the oh. best in Europe. Um, all right, so we sort of go on with this. Um, all right, so he's got this just wonderful, right? All the things he does you know, cat-like behavior and how this is all sort of in honor of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's this brilliant, wonderful poem. It's, of course, super famous to cat lovers <laughs> everywhere. Um, but what I think not as many people know um, is there is a ninth century Irish poem. <laughs> I was going to say version of this, but it's obviously not mm-hmm. a version. It's a it's an earlier poem. But a ninth century poem mm-hmm. um, b- called Pangurban which is the name of the subject of the poem, <laughs> who is a cat. Yes, and uh-huh. it was written in um, Reichenau Abbey. Um, it's in what's known as kind of the Reichenau Primer, uh, Benedictine Monastery mm-hmm. on Reichenau Island, <laughs> which is in Lake Constance in southern Germany. Um, and, yeah, I mean, 9th century Irish. This is the Seamus Heaney translation is on Poetry Foundation, so we'll link to it. You can find it. Um but I'll read a little bit of that one as well. So this is the ninth century poem, right? Written. Um, so remember, Pangorban is the name, but also the, the name of the cat. So here we are. Uh, Pangorban and I at work. Adepts equals cat and clerk. His whole instinct is to hunt. Mine to free the meaning pent. More than loud acclaim, I love book silence thought my alcove. Happy for me, Pangorban. Child plays round some mouse's den. All right, and it sort of goes through comparing the two of them working, right? So the clerk doing his stuff um, to the cat doing his stuff, which is very, very similar, right, um, to the way Jeff Christopher Smart compares all of Jeffrey's cat things to praising God, right? This is the clerk comparing his mm-hmm. clerkly duties to what his cat does, right? <laughs> um, and it ends, uh, and of course, by the way, this rhymes because Seamus Haney translated it as a poet, which he is, and so it's, you know, <laughs> this isn't the most literal translation, but anyway, um, so it ends, uh, and so it goes, to each his own, no vying, no vexation, taking pleasure, taking pains, kindred spirits, veterans, day and night, soft purr, soft pad, Pangurban has learned his trade, day and night, my own hard work, solves the cruxes, makes a mark. Hmm. Um, yeah, so there we go. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, and yeah, right? So, yes, I mean, cats were 100%, of course, beloved. <laughs> you can only imagine, um, you know, and you do wonder. I, I do think that the scribe who left the paw prints probably loved the cat and decided to leave the prince. The yeah. clerk who cursed the cat who peed on the book, you do have to wonder, you know, if that was his cat or maybe one of his colleagues' cats, right? But it could really go either way because mm-hmm. we all know that moment when you're just like, yeah. oh my god, I can't believe you did that. <sighs> but then, you know, of course we forgive and forget. <laughs> and again, he did leave yes. it, right? He didn't erase it. So there's something very sort of interesting about that, right? Um, but yeah, so these, right, so these are our sort of our wonderful cat moments, Um there are, of course, there are others. Um, so cat symbolism, this isn't the only cat symbolism, right? Um, there is slightly more fun cat symbolism as well. So Chaucer, again, of course, we talked about 
last time, right? The Priors has dogs. Um, the wife of Bath mentions mm-hmm. um, she has had five husbands, <laughs> famously. Three of them were old and two of them weren't. The three old ones she describes as having been good for various reasons. Uh, and the two younger ones as not good for various reasons. But anyway, um, but she remembers accusing the old ones um, of calling her a cat. Um, and she, she would sort of throw this back in their face, but she'd say to them, you know, you call me a cat, um, because supposedly, right, whoever singes a cat's skin, which is to say if you, um, you know, like shave a cat or if you make them look ugly, <laughs> um, that then the cat will supposedly dwell in, right? But if the cat's skin mm-hmm. be sleek and gay, she will not dwell in house half a day. <laughs> um, Right? Uh So cats in this way become a symbol for sort of, I mean, a sort of sexist symbol of femininity. But of course, this is something Mm -hmm. that remains, right? The term pussy, of course, you know, continues. Um, But this is a really early sense. It's not necessarily connected specifically to sex, exactly, but definitely to looks, right? The idea of cats Mm -hmm. is sort of, right, feminine in this way. Um, that they will go outside if they look beautiful to sort of caterwaul and be caterwauled at. <laughs> um, but if they don't look beautiful, right, if you like shave them or something, that then they will hide away until they look beautiful again. Um, and so you do get these other sort of sassy um, cat metaphors, I guess is the way, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which is fun. I do want to mention here, by the way, for our listeners, um, that there is a book, there are a few books. There's an author who wrote um, a book on medieval pets um, and also a book on medieval cats. And it is worth pointing out that in both of these books, this author included a reference that is in fact um, satiric, maybe not satiric, but certainly a parody. It is a parody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And this is in fact um, an article that Barbara Newman wrote for the Chaucer Review. So it's a real article, right? And she wrote this for the Chaucer Review Mm -hmm. in 1992, I think. Um, So volume 26, issue 4, pages 411 to 23, if anyone's looking for it. um, You can definitely find it. But the title is The Cat's Tale, a Chaucer Apocryphon. All right, so the title should tell you, right, Apocryphon. Okay. This is apocryphal, right? In other words... This is something I yes, made up. Yes, she has made yeah. this up. <laughs> but she said that, um, she says in this article that she found a manuscript of, you know, Canterbury Tales in somewhere, like Barking Abbey or something, I'm forgetting. Um, and that she found that there was an annotation in it, right? And that the scribe apparently who reading it, or maybe a scribe who copied it, who knows. But anyway, someone had written in the margins with the Prioress's dogs, I believe, and also added a cat. Right? So looking at someone in the scriptorium as a cat lover who wanted to also add a cat. Now, again, this is not real. Uh, it's brilliant, though, because Barbara Newman then provides us with several verses of Chaucerian Old English about a cat. <laughs> that begins, a cat there was, uh, fulfilled of furriness, and that a worthy beast, as I may guess. Uh, for of his hairs all golden was the hue, and he so wise was. Um that he would not mew unnecessarily. Okay, I'm sort of translating. All right. So he'd sleep all night um, till that his friend Magnificat gan cry. Aha. Now this should be our hint. I think we've heard from Magnificat yes, before. because Magnificat, of course, was Professor Newman's famous cat of great soul, who is uh, immortalized in the sort of famous modern icon of Julian of Norwich. Yeah. So yes, this is a cat who is also a friend of Magnificat. Um, it says, uh, There was nowhere a cat so swift to steal his meat. Birds he loved best, to tell you plain. <laughs> um, anyway, and it, so it's this wonderful sort of, it's a wonderful verse. Um, but, and it's brilliantly written. <laughs> but it was not in fact written by Chaucer. Um, so I do want to give that a... Sh- but it got included in a book about medieval cats. Yes. Uh, the same author wrote Medieval Cats and Medieval Pets, and I think she also has a Medieval Dogs as well. I mean, I yes, she does. Um, and yes, she she included it in all of those, well, the Cats and the Pets books, um, without having realized, apparently, that it was, in fact, apocryphal. <laughs> it's like people citing the onion. Yes. 
yes. occasionally. Yeah. I don't, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know. Well, anyway, there, there we are. So it is a wonderful moment yeah. and it is out there in the world and I thought I would share it. Um, All right. so, but it's not actually a medieval example. It's not technically. <laughs> it's, a, it's a medievalism. It's from 1992. Yes. It's yeah. Medieval-ish. Medieval-esque. Anyways, um, there's actually another one like that that was, but that is an early modern uh, trick. I don't know. It's not necessarily a trick. Well, I will tell the story. We'll decide. Um, Petrarch, whom we have mentioned before for various reasons, among them the fact that, you know, the great love of his life, right? Dante had Beatrice. Petrarch um, had Laura, I think. Yes, Petrarch had Laura. Um, she died of the plague, right? So we had mentioned, we mentioned her in one of her our first episode, yeah. I guess. Um, so Petrarch also had dogs, and he loved his dogs. We know about them from letters. Uh, and particularly, there's this one where um, he, um, a cardinal gave him a dog, and then he wrote a letter to the cardinal about how the dog was settling in to life with Petrarch, and Petrarch sort of describes this life as much sort of lower class. <laughs> um, of course, I mean, he's not you know, running in the same circles. Um, and he also describes this kind of like this pastoral country life rather than the rich city life that the dog was formerly used to. But he describes the dog as sort of thriving in this new life. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, and it's, there's a fun article we'll link to that um, is called, um, ooh, let's see, Portrait of the Poet as a Dog. <laughs> okay. Um, yes. Which is sort of hilarious. Um, and, you know, the argument is sort of made that Petrarch is in many ways describing himself and um, defending his lifestyle of sort of being a, kind of, not a recluse, but, you know, like Stephen King living in Maine or whatever, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and not New York. So here we go. Um, but anyway, but also clearly he does have this great love for his dogs, you know, and this dog. Um, and the dog is loyal and it keeps away people from bothering him, you know, keeps people away from the door unless they're friends, like all this stuff. Anyway, um, okay, so all of that is true. Now, Petrarch dies, of course, eventually. <laughs> um, he's super famous. Pretty quickly, um, his house becomes a, I mean, I'll say tourist spot, but pilgrimage, honestly, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, pilgrimage, especially in the Middle Ages, is sort of religious, but people do go there out of a fervor that we might describe as religious, right? Sure. Um, but yeah, so it becomes a tourist. I mean, people go to Dublin for the same reason oh, nowadays, right? Or, 100%. You know, a pilgrimage to where Ulysses of is. Of course. Well, not only that, yeah. you do the Ulysses pilgrimage itself, yes. right? You walk around <laughs> Wander Dublin. Wander Dublin. Yeah. Yeah. Day. yeah. So, um, yeah, so similarly, right? So people go into the house. Um, so probably somewhere in the 1600s, like, kind of middle six or early i don't know 1630s or something um it i mean a cat appears basically it seems that the probably i guess the person who owned the house at the time um for whatever reason but set up this sort of um pillar with an embalmed cat an inscription that said that this cat was more beloved of petrarch than anyone except for laura huh. <laughs> and um this has and this has remained. The cat, I think, is I think is maybe still there. Wow! Um, but has maybe been moved. That got moved maybe to a different room, sort of a different area. Anyway, but um, and for a long time, this was again sort of accepted, or at least somewhat accepted as true, even though Petrarch does not mention cats. Um, there are some illuminations that show him with cats, or some images of him, engravings maybe of him with a cat. Okay. Um, and it's a little unclear. We know he had dogs. He's definitely shown with dogs as well, obviously. But the cat, less frequent because he doesn't mention cats. It's also unclear um, if maybe there are a few possibilities, right? Is the cat, um, you know, kind of like St. Jerome had a lion. I mean, mm -hmm. um, is this more symbolic, <laughs> right, of something like, th like that? Um, or um, is it kind of like assuming that Anchoruses would have had a cat, you know, so Julian Norwich, we assume she had a cat. Mm -hmm. um, you assume a writer has a cat because someone needs to be hunting the mice so they don't eat all your poems, right? Right. Um, so it's a little unclear, you know, and so he, he may, in fact, have had a cat for those reasons, but not as far as we know, one that was quite as beloved as all that, because mm -hmm. it 
not mentioned. And he was a writer. So, you know, we would expect a cat to have been mentioned. Sure. Um, but at the very least, certainly this cat does not seem to be a cat that he had. And the question is, why this person thought this would add to the tourist attraction? It certainly has. I mean, mm-hmm. unquestionably. But um, I think, I mean, Byron definitely made the pilgrimage to Petrarch's house. Um, I think he may have mentioned the cat, actually. Byron, a fan of animals. Um, but this is sort of the thing, right? That There was something about, you know, showing Petrarch's love of animals that was presumably assumed to maybe draw in more people. And arguably has done that, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the question of why pick a cat? Sure. <laughs> You know, and most of the articles you read about this, where people are sort of like, yes, this cat is was not Petrarch's cat, presumably. Um, most of them start short of speculating, because historians aren't supposed to do that sort of thing, about why this cat is there. But it does kind of beg the question if maybe the person who owned the house at the time was a cat mm-hmm. person, right? And that that is why they would give Petrarch a cat, because that is the animal that they thought he should have had, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Right? They were a cat person. They thought Petrarch should be a cat person. Perfect. Sure. You know? So you do wonder a little bit, you know, was this their cat that they kind of immortalized by deciding that they would tell people it was Petrarch's cat Mm -hmm. after it had died, right? Or something like this. Anyway. um, Yeah. So that's another sort of interesting, weird (laughs) medieval cat story. That's actually an early modern cat story. Yes. Yes. Um, but yes, that's also a reminder of how cats, like, somehow are just more, um, harder to grasp. It is harder to grasp the story of the cat. They're a little mysterious. Yes. Maybe. Yes. Sometimes. Um, but anyhow, so to sort of finish up some of the final things, um, we did mention there are other animals that were kept as pets, so we should mention some of them. Um, birds, of course, we still have birds. Um, and you can find records of people buying birdseed occasionally. Um squirrels who have never been kept as pets quite as much i think in the u.s mm-hmm. but in europe for a long time and sometimes still um you do see pet squirrels occasionally in the u.s or at least people who kind of have tamer squirrels who come every day to be fed um but you know we're talking like squirrels on little chains you know with little collars and you know definitely okay. pets um and monkeys of course is the other big one um Monkeys, of course, are high-status pets, <laughs> um, and they're, they also just abound in medieval manuscripts because they are seen as allegories to people, of course, mm-hmm. right? The sort of bestial part of people, right? So the animalistic side of people. But you do find them doing just all sorts of things. <laughs> um, and yeah, they were obviously beloved. Um, it's very similar you know, today, they're one of those animals that people are reminded you really can't keep as a pet. Mm-hmm. Because they are, right, that is that problem of wild versus domesticated. Mm-hmm. Um, squirrels, of course, sort of fall into that category. But monkeys absolutely do, right? I mean, they, they ultimately just, you know, yeah. sort of, they're, they are very much like us, but also not quite, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so, but these were also absolutely kept as pets. I mean, they're, there's a long history of this. Um yeah, so, you know, most of the things that we think of as pets today were also pets. Um, and we have, as I said, sort of ignored horses because a horse was never just a pet, even if it was a pet. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, <laughs> again, you, you didn't have cars. I mean, so um, a horse was never just a pet. Um, but obviously, they were beloved. Um and, you know, there's huge stuff written about how you take care of all your animals, how you feed them, what you should feed them, what's good for them, what isn't good for them. Um, overfeeding animals was a huge problem then as now, right? Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> um, and, yeah, you know, people were warned, like, don't overfeed your pets. It's not good for them, just like it's not good for you. Um, and among all the other things, you know, um, of course, like I said, dogs... Um, you'd feed them differently depending on if they were pets or hunting dogs, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there there were sort of distinctions there. Um, but, yes, I want to say that I have not brought up, but now I kind of want to, as we near the end. Um, one of the things we haven't talked about so much is that some animals were pets, but also potentially after they died, 
you could wear them as mm. fur. Um, this was this is true, of course, for squirrels. This is true for cats. Um, not as true for the others. <laughs> um, dogs have never really been as popular that way, I think, um, for whatever reasons. But yeah, cats, um, you okay. certainly could 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 be fur as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um it's worth mentioning this also because then we can link to the Black Adder episode from season three, Vision oh. Dishonesty. Oh boy. <laughs> where yes. he comes in in a robe that is supposed to be a Lord's robe and he thinks it is Ermine. Says the finest leather trimmed Ermine. And Mrs. Megan says, No, it's cat. Look, they've left the little collars on. <laughs> oh. Um and then okay. he reads one and it says, Mr. Frisky, if found, please return to Emma Hamilton, Portsmouth. <laughs> <laughs> anyway okay yes um so that that is something that stuck around as a as a joke but also kind of a truism for a very long time yeah right one yes. other thing that i think we should mention that i found out about um earlier in november i guess this is not going to come out in november so i won't say earlier this month but <laughs> yes. so there was a cat uh that lived in the hagia sophia um, who who was uh, actually pretty well um, beloved and had 118,000 followers on Instagram. Her name was Glee. Aww. But so outside of the um, outside of the Christian world, um, Muslims revere cats quite a bit, oh, and yes. um, apparently Muhammad had pet cats. Yes, and cats are actually considered ritually clean, so they're allowed to enter mosques and uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. So while Christianity may have had some divided opinions, um, Islam is apparently a lot of uh, pro-cat culture. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it does, you know, Egypt, of course, very pro-cat. Yes. I mean, dogs important too, obviously, Nubis, but famously pro-cat. Yeah. Um, and that is something arguably that kind of sticks <laughs> yeah. in the Middle East. Um, it is also worth pointing out that in the Middle Ages, this is something, there are at least a few people who commented on this as a distinction in the Middle Ages, yes, that Muslims mm-hmm. like cats and Christians like dogs. Yes. <laughs> um, which is kind of funny. But yes. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should also mention my one of my favorite children's books um, by James Joyce, The Cat and the Devil. Ooh, yes. Which is an excellent book if you are looking for a gift for um, for a kid. Yes. Or just want to read it yourself. Absolutely. But yes, the, the devil. I, I'm struck by the, um, the Irish poem, yes. actually, because the devil is clearly yep. an Irish devil in this book. As it in would be. Book. <laughs> um, it's really a very short letter yeah. to his nephew, yeah. And then he... Um, he's really a more sympathetic character than any of the the humans yes. in the book. Yeah. So. Um, and you know, of course, yeah. it is it is one of those funny things. Um, there's a whole. I mean, we didn't actually get to the religious differences. This is a whole other thing, because yes, right, Islam and cats, Christianity and dogs, um, Jews have tended to be kind of divided between the two. There's actually a lot written about this. Um, hmm. That are Jews not supposed to keep dogs, but Jews like dogs. But then, is that a European thing, <laughs> right? Do Jews like dogs because of being in Europe so long? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right. But there's actually a lot written about that, yes. About sort of religion and pets and who who keeps what and why. Yeah. Um. Obviously, yes, pets do have a very ritualistic element to them, right? So you think about the temple dogs in Asia and mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, there is some, there is absolutely a quality of that. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yes. <laughs> That's like a whole discussion. But yes. Um, that would be a good one. We'll, we'll think of some reason why we, you know, if we talk about... At some point, we'll have to do a, like, sort of, um, you know what we say, tri-confessional or multi-confessional conversation, where we talk about all three religions that we're hanging out together. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll find a focus and we'll, and, you know, animals can be one of the things we mention. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yay. That sounds good. 
And now we've managed to get through this whole discussion without angering Andre too much. Because yes. He has he has gone to sleep on the chair next to me instead good. of chomping on me. So yes, um, I think this is a good place to call it. Yes, awesome. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, he's like, I'll fight the devil if I see the devil. Yeah, he Whatever. might. I don't know. Does the devil bring chicken? <laughs> that might sway him one way or the other. It's quite possible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> let's see. Yes, this is my announcement time. We have a Facebook page, which is Ask a Medievalist. Um, I think it's probably facebook.com slash Ask a Medievalist. And you can follow us there and get announcements about new episodes that are coming out. Um, of course, if you subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast application, um, it will just deliver up the new episodes every time they come out, which is typically bi biweekly meaning every other week. Um, yes. <laughs> not the other bi-weekly. Right. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, um, we also have a website, which is askamedievalist.com, and if, for whatever reason, you can't view the notes in your podcast player, then you can view the notes there, um, which always have lots of fun links to different resources. And um, I, think that's, I think that's it. Yes. Am I forgetting anything? Yeah, I think nope. that's it. So, uh, yeah. Thanks for joining us tonight, and hope you had a great time. And uh, keep it medieval. Ask a Medievalist is a production of This Can't Be That Hard Studios and is not endorsed, acknowledged, or condoned by Virginia Commonwealth University or any of its constituent departments. Our theme music is Veni Veni Venias from Carmina Burana by Carl Orff performed by the MIT Concert Choir and licensed under a Creative Commons attributional non-commercial license version 3.0. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, why not tell a friend? For more on today's topic, including sources, annotations, and corrections, visit our website at www.askamedievalist.com. And if you have questions, feel free to drop us an email at questions at askamedievalist.com. Thank you.